Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. I am Alex Willem and I am joined today by Danny Crichton, TechCrunch's managing editor. Danny, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm surviving this New York City hurricane. The bad news is that it's coming this way next and tomorrow is going to be a complete disaster in Rhode Island. Actually, it's raining here now. So, so much for spring. Depressing season, but California is doing better. Tosh, how are you doing? Welcome back. I'm okay. Um, it kind of feels like New Jersey outside because it's also just dreary, but it's so it's helping in a weird way because I miss home dearly right now. <laughs> I, I, I want to make a joke about that, but we have so much to get through. <laughs> no jokes about New Jersey ever. <laughs> I mean, they do I, write I think themselves. that is a New York City resident right to make fun of New Jersey at any time. <laughs> oh my God. I think, I think pretty much it's a domestic right. If you live in the U.S. and you're not in Jersey, you're allowed to turn and point at it For and the laugh. record, our bagel shops remember our names, and I have not experienced that in New England, in San Francisco, or New York. All right. Okay. No more of that. We're going to jump into the news. We have so much to get through today. And if you're listening, it is not a uh, coronavirus show. So if you want coronavirus news, wrong place. If you don't want that... Welcome to Equity. All right. We're going to talk about ClearBank first and uh, Startups and Runway. And Natasha, this is something that you wrote. I'm curious about what's new here from the ClearBank group. So please walk us through uh, what's happening. So ClearBank has traditionally pitched itself as the anti-VCVC. When it comes down to it, that's a fancy way of saying that they just give cash to startups and don't take equity. Instead, they just take part of their revenue month by month and charge a 6% interest on top. They're not necessarily shifting or pivoting, but they're adding on a new product that's a little less glamorous, a little less about helping startups grow and just helping startups stay afloat. It's called ClearBank Runway. For those of you listening who don't know what Runway is, the easiest way to understand it is basically how long a startup can stay afloat considering the cash in its bank and all the expenses it's going through at the moment. Runway has become a topic of conversation recently as startups are struggling. Let me spit that back to you to make sure that I'm, I'm getting this. So ClearBank came out and caused some waves because they would quickly loan money to companies that were growing quickly. It was revenue-based financing, and now it's designed, instead of kind of focused on like, how much money can you put into your sales motion, it's more like, how much life can we give you? Is that is that fair? Yes. And the one clarification I will make, is, and because they told me to, is to not refer to them as a loaning company. They are structured slightly different because they don't have a certain time period that they need to be paid back in, and there's no penalties for founders. Danny, if I, <laughs> if I gave you $100, say... And uh, we had a 6% coupon on that, right? Uh, no set repayment period. Would you call that a loan or would you call that some sort of magical instrument that we've never heard of before? Well, I think ClearBank is following into the line of a lot of VCs that were exploring revenue-based investing last year. Uh, we, we've actually talked about RBI quite a bit on TechCrunch in the last couple of months. Ironically, probably less today than we did a couple of months ago. But, you know, th there was this model when cap tables got really congested where it was really hard to actually get equity that more and more investors were looking at models around, hey, you're a SaaS company, you have recurring revenues, recurring expenses. We can actually, you know, not lend, I guess, in their case, but a lot of folks were talking about lending or debt and equity structures combined in some sort of fusion. I think ClearBank is, is it's, it's not equity, but it's also not like traditional debt, which is what they're trying to make a point of. It is sort of a new asset class. And it, it's really uh, based on a model of startup that where you have good metrics, right? So SaaS is a, a really great example of a place where there's so many SaaS companies, and once you have those metrics, you can literally type it into the ClearBank calculator. It's really easy for them to kind of underwrite it, assuming those numbers are accurate. On that point, so ClearBank originally, with its 20-minute term sheet product, was only open mainly to e-commerce companies. 
Clearback Runway is broadening out to SaaS and enterprise. And I think that's a smart way for it to to put its foot in the door during a time when people need. I mean, to be clear, I don't mean to mock the work they're doing. I just find the loan distinction to be slightly curious. I, I wonder oh. if there's a regulatory, but I also just think it's like there's so many loans from the SBA right now that I just wonder if they're like, don't come to us for a PPP loan. <laughs> like, we don't do anything about it. Yeah. We don't do loans. We're actually like a, 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 a avocado store or something like that. <laughs> Well, now we have to call them avocados, apparently. And if you get a bad one, you get the pits. Hey. Oh, God. All right. Um, I was going to say something of, of material consequence, maybe, but I forget what it was. Let's move on. Um, we're going to talk about something that we haven't mentioned on equity in a while. And uh, Danny asked for an exception, and we've granted it. So we can now talk about the blockchain for five minutes tops. And oh uh, a company called Sila, or is it Sila, Danny? Sila? Sila. Sila uh, put together. It's called Sila. I think Sila's right. Yeah, seven point seven million in a seed round to wipe out ACH. That caught my eye. ACH is a big market. So, h- how is this going to work? Actually, two companies I covered this week in the blockchain space, both unintentionally because they both have rebranded slightly to kind of de-emphasize the blockchain kind of components mm-hmm. of their businesses. But both really interesting companies. So, Sila is the brainchild of Shamir Karkal, who was actually one of the like OG fintech entrepreneurs. So, he started a company called Simple Bank with a co-founder back in 2009, sold to BBVA, a very old financial institution, 150-year history, for $117 million back, I believe, in 2014. And so after a couple of years of, of surviving a 150-year-old bureaucratic kind of financial company, he spun out and, and tried to figure out a new product. And what Scylla does, which he co-founded with three others, is um, it uses the blockchain to sort of replace ACH payments. So for businesses that are looking to transmit money from customer to customer, from customer to company. The idea is to create a, a system that's much more advanced than ACH or automated clearinghouse. ACH runs most of what you're familiar with in Venmo. So if you're familiar with the two to three day delay it takes or lag to get your money into your Chase bank account or whatever the case may be, that's a function of a, a technology that's literally 40, 50 years old. And so Shayla wants to make that down to the minutes. They're built on the uh, Ethereum blockchain and uh, what was interesting is one of their investors, Hope Cochran, who is at Madrona up in Seattle, and a former CFO of King Digital, which was the company behind Candy Crush. So she she helped on the, the Candy Crush whole saga. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of craziness in the finances in that world at the time. But what, one of the things she really emphasized is just how many companies deal with payments today. That, you know, for, for a lot of CFOs, they think they don't need this technology. You know, we talked about Phoenix and a bunch of other kind of payment facilitation companies. But the reality is, is that almost all CFOs eventually touch payments in some way. You're moving money from place to place, and you eventually touch ACH. So Scylla wants to play in that world. They raised $7.7 million in a seed round. And that's one of the first kind of solid blockchain companies I've seen in quite some time. I really liked how the founder was like kind of part of this OG group of fintech founders. Like I was really excited when I read that as part of the story. was also wondering if he said anything about like the, the role they want to play with doling out like the the small business loans, if that ever has any clarity. Because I know some fintech companies like Venmo, I believe, have raised their hands to say like, we'll be the ones that will like divide the loans. We, we talked a little bit about it. I mean, obviously I, I, for a lot of folks, moving money is actually really important. One of the challenges with ACH is you have a multi-day delay and, you know, for a lot of contractors, you have net 30, net 60, net 90 terms where it can take a quarter for your money to show up. And so I think, you know, just the, the very definition of the company is designed to accelerate those payments so that the money goes to the folks as quickly as possible, reducing the need for what is known as commercial paper or sort of short-term loans as cash flow that a lot of SMBs require. So if they're successful, they'll sort of solve that problem in a nutshell. Okay, so I want to point out how big the payments world has gotten because uh, Podium raised money in the last uh, week, give or take, I forget when the Series C was, like $125 million, $1.5 billion valuation. 
I don't think we brought it up on the show, but they launched a payments product in March to let kind of small businesses more quickly accept payment for goods and services. It's going to speed up and slow down that, speed up the payments, slow down the uh, the lag period. And they said volume is like 2x what they expected. And just another company who's making margin on payment transactions and payment flows because this is now a key business model playing for a lot of companies. So Sila is cool. Silo is cool. Sila, Silo, whatever. Uh, do you want to talk about Cadence, Danny? Yeah, so uh, the second blockchain company was a company called Cadence based in New York City. Cadence is a securitization startup. If you remember during the 2008 financial crisis, there was this, this term called asset-backed securities, which is like a scary term, weapons of financial destruction, all that. But but the reality is, is that almost all of finance is built around securitization. So when you take out a mortgage, 500 other people take out similar mortgages. Those get packaged and resold to other investors so that banks can continue to write mortgages, auto loans, credit card debt, etc. Cadence is a blockchain-based product that is designed to basically help package that and do it as a crowdfund. So if you're a private office investor or maybe Alex as a side project, you could literally buy mortgage debt, credit card debt, or other sorts of securitized products as an investment portfolio. And so the two metrics for them, they just crossed 125 million of total deal volume that they processed on the platform. So it is actually a real business, unlike the blockchain businesses of years ago. And they've raised $4 million in seed with a lead from uh, Revels VC and the former chair of City. I was just going to say that, I, that this is actually really cool. And I think that bringing securitization to the blockchain actually may make some sense because you want to have records of that stuff available and it doesn't have to be very quick and blockchains aren't super snappy. They're faster than ACH going back one step, but certainly they're not the, the fastest thing in the world. I'm actually kind of hyped about this. And I have to say, these are the first two blockchain companies that, that I've heard of in, in 18 months that I'm actually kind of excited about. That's why I was happy to have him on the show reading the notes because, you know, we, we, we made fun of blockchain so much for so long for not doing anything. And here are two examples of blockchain being used well with reasonable amounts of money raised, not a billion dollars in a, you know, ICO. So I'm in favor of it. I mean, also, like Danny, you mentioned, like the blockchain companies kind of pitch themselves as not blockchain companies completely, which is a smart way to do it if it's authentic, because it takes yeah, a lot of work for both of these companies and their marketing to figure out that they're blockchain companies. But <laughs> but, you know, what's interesting is like ultimately it's a ledger, right? Blockchain is really like a way of thinking about how to save data. And so whether it's, uh, you know, the Depository Trust Corporation or other ways of saving data, like ultimately you have to track where the money is coming from and where it's going. For a lot of banks, that's in a mainframe that's written in COBOL that's from the 1970s. These are just modern ways to do the exact same thing. So I think I think we went away from having the buzzword be the lead to actually solving real problems. And that's why both of these companies are being successful today. Yeah, it took a while to get here, but it, it appears now that blockchain does have... It took a long time to get here. A lot of really bad parties in San Francisco to get through that, that era. <laughs> How many parties in SF did you go to that were blockchain related? I went to zero. Same. Um, I definitely went to more than zero. Okay, uh, <laughs> that's the, the smallest confession. <laughs> that was very um, by, precise. By the way, if you do hear uh, in the background rain and or thunder, that's because, uh, like Danny said at the start of the show, it is uh, it is not great weather on the East Coast. So that is the uh, the backing soundtrack. But, but it is great for social distancing. So yeah, it's it's great for social distancing because I just want to go to bed. Uh, that's how this weather makes me feel. Uh, let's keep moving along, though. Lots to get through. Um, there was a deal that this, this Galileo deal came out of nowhere for me. Like, I remember Galileo raised $77 million last year, but vaguely. And then all of a sudden, they got picked up for $1.2 billion. Uh, apparently, Galileo has been around since 2000. This is a Utah-based kind of payments platform. Danny, how familiar with Galileo were you when this news dropped? Zero. I, I learned about the deal two hours before it was announced. So I had to do a lot of, of speed reading to catch up. But Galileo has actually been around, as you said, uh, 2000s bootstrap for many, many years. They raised a, a, so that is a series 
B check from Excel, although they call it a Series A in quotations in their press mm. release. Uh, there's mm. a whole little bit. But Mercatus Partners actually did a, a multi-million dollar Series A a couple of years before in 2014. But nonetheless, like uh, Galileo offers financial services and payment services for other companies. So they, they own the UK. All five of the top fintech companies are customers of Galileo. They're the ones who actually do the bank account monitoring and opening. So all the logistics and regulatory aspects of opening a bank account, opening new credit cards, both physical and virtual. So they handle a lot of those painful logistics. So when you think about like neobanks or challenger banks over the last couple of years, like one of the reasons there's so many of them now is because of companies like Galileo that have made it easy to offer those sort of new services. So whether you're Brex or Newbank or some of these other companies, you know, this was sort of the infrastructure you needed in order to get started. So Monzo, which is one of the biggest UK challenger banks that Natasha and I wrote about um, Wednesday, I think it was, of this week, they are probably built on top of Galileo's tooling. They are, correct. And so in much of the way that like Plaid empowered a lot of consumer apps by giving people access to data, right? They're solving for this problem of like, look, there's thousands of different banks. There's all these regulations and rules. It's really, really hard as a starter to go build out tooling to do this. So Galileo solves this for the uh, account custodial and, and for credit cards. Plaid did this around consumer data. So your transaction history on a credit card. So you could mm -hmm. use that in a, say, a consumer budgeting app or something like that. And so the, the big news, though, is that they're actually selling to SoFi. So SoFi has been very ambitious under CEO Anthony Noto, who's the C former COO of Twitter, and expanding to a variety of financial services. And so Galileo is both going to empower a lot of SoFi's products, but, and this is sort of the language they were using in the press release, they wanted to be the AWS for SoFi. They wanted to be the B2B wing of SoFi. So SoFi has this vision of being a core platform for all other fintechs around the world, in addition to their consumer businesses. So much in the way that Amazon has an e-com business and then the AWS web infrastructure to power that e-com business, SoFi is looking to do the same thing. Like something I've been thinking about recently, which yeah, echoes to the piece we wrote, Alex, is that it's really smart when fintech doesn't put all of its eggs in one basket. And I feel like SoFi started off with student loan refinancing, That's right. right? Yeah. So it's like that was a great way to get in the door. And now they're just like like any good company trying to add on new services one by one and grow. And so it made a lot of sense. I thought it was a really smart, smart deal. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's interesting because most of SoFi's new initiatives have been consumer. And, and the basic theory is once you own a fintech consumer in one way, like you're Robinhood and you have a free stock trading app, well, now you want to offer banking. Now you want to offer credit cards because one of the biggest costs to actually uh, growing in the fintech space is just acquiring a customer. It's hundreds and hundreds of dollars per customer in order to get a new credit card user or a new bank account user. And so once you already have a customer sort of in your app, it gets really easy to offer payments and credit cards and banks and stocks and all kinds of different trading algorithms. But this one is different because they're actually trying to go to B2B. So this is not a B2C play. It's a B2B play. And so that's one definitely to watch. You know, SoFi is still a private company. It obviously has long-term ambitions to go public. They raised hundreds of millions of dollars last year from Qatar and a bunch of other investors at a $4.5 billion valuation. And so like, this is a one to watch. Like they're they're laying their eggs or <laughs> very Easter. I, I don't know if that's like the metaphor I was looking for, but it's very animal. Wait, it's so timely too. <laughs> like Easter. It's very animal up. crossing bunny day, Easter day coming up here on, on <laughs> just a few days, but they're laying their tracks. I don't know what to say. There's, there's one of these metaphors of laying, laying their, their seeds uh, in no, place so that they can germinate. The more you talk, the worse it gets. I loved Easter. I was there for Easter. They didn't place all their bets on one hand. They didn't push yeah. all in. They're not only making one wager. There's ways you can say this. Laying your seed sideways on an egg is not the way to go. Listen. I'm here for it, Danny. I'm here for um, it. <laughs>
Here's so I think Danny and Tosh are both completely right that once you get a customer in fintech, you want to sell more services. But I'm fascinated by if you can actually do this, which is a bigger pivot. This isn't just is it hailing here? Um, anyways, <laughs> I'm curious to see if they can not just expand in the consumer sense, but actually expand into the B2B sense. And if they can, it might be a model that other companies might follow. Um, because SoFi certainly, with this $1.2 billion deal, is making a big statement inside a crowded space with a lot of competition. So they might see some follow-ups. I, I'm stoked by the deal. Isn't SoFi the sponsor for the Rams stadium down in SoCal? That is correct. So so for the stadium that's going to open a couple months for the new football season that will almost certainly come, I'm sure, in a couple of months, they are the, the named title sponsor for the new LA stadium. So So let's talk about other news in the fintech world, because it has been a lot of positives and negatives going on. So um, obviously a lot of big positives, huge exit this week, a couple of major financing rounds, but there are also some negatives going on as well that I think you and Natasha took, Alex. Yeah. So Tasha and I were thinking about fintech and kind of what's going on. And we wanted to talk about three categories of companies, companies that we know are struggling, companies that we know are not talking to us because they won't answer our emails. And Toast was one of them. And then they cut a bunch of staff. So we kind of figured out why they weren't answering our emails. And then there's the cohort of fintech companies that are exploding, that are just really taking, that, that this moment's helping, I think maybe is the right way to say. And there's a lot in each bucket. So Tosh, why don't you take us through the, uh, the down bucket and then we'll pivot and kind of walk through it. Crap, I was going to totally take the positive bucket, so I didn't but feel You down. would. See, that's, I should be the one with the down bucket. I'm in the, you know. <laughs> but I did want to also, like, give some insight into, like, the reporter process between how the story was inspired. Basically, me and Alex were just, like, slacking, and it felt like there was so much fintech news that we were trying to digest. And then we realized that we're probably not the only people that are like, everything is different, and there is no uniform direction in which this industry is going right now. And that led to this story. I'll start with the quiet bucket. Usually companies like Brex and Phoenix are super chatty. Brex is backed by SoftBank, Phoenix is backed by Sequoia, and I hope they both still talk to me after they hear this. Formerly backed by Sequoia. Wait, no. It's now, it now has a grant from Sequoia of free yeah. money. Oh, oh, right. Okay. It's like Sequoia has become like the government. It's like a PPP loan it's that like, won't have to like be. It's like when you take the patch off your jacket and you can still kind of see the outline of it. That's yes, Sequoia. Exactly. <laughs> That's, oh my god. They have the imprimatur, but not the, the not the actual equity stake anymore. <laughs> Sequoia aside, Phoenix um, deals with payment processing, and Brex deals also with kind of giving out credit to startups. And they both were pretty silent about how their transaction and payment volume has changed since the pandemic has limited how much people are spending. And we kind of took that as a sign of trying times. Brex has been doing these online seminars. And so it's, it's not like it's not talking, but it's not talking about the numbers. And I just wanted to point to that. The good companies or the ones that are doing well right now are the ones that help you basically save your financial health. SoFi is one of them. Another one I wrote about this week, Thrive, is helping is helping students secure money based on internship offers. It's just another way to help students gain money to pay for all the expenses that come with college. And I'm sure all those startups are high in demand right now. In the, uh, in the good bucket there, I talked to Robinhood, um, I think it was yesterday. And it was fascinating to hear them because uh, in the good bucket that Tosh mentioned that people are helping you save and invest, Robinhood has also seen very, very quick uh, growth in, in new accounts and also people bringing money onto the platform. So even though Robinhood went through that period of relatively embarrassing downtime about a month ago, I, I want to say, they're seeing an uptick as well. Acorns, also in the piece, also doing very, very well. So if, pretty much if you're helping people not go broke, right now is a great time for you. So Alex mentioned the startups that are doing well right now. And just to circle it back to Toast. Toast is one of the biggest companies in Boston, one of their famed unicorns, as one investor put it when I was talking to him the other day. And they ended up 
cutting 50% of their staff either through layoffs or furloughs. And that kind of segues us into kind of the sadder part of our podcast this week, which is the devastating unemployment claims that we've been seeing. So, um, Danny or Alex, one of you run through the super sad numbers. <laughs> I'll, I'll grab that one. So we saw uh, on Thursday 6.6 6 million new unemployment claims in the last week, which followed a, a week of 6.9 million. And I think it was about 3.3 million the uh, the week before. So we've seen a, a tsunami, a tidal wave, a, a, a surge of um, jobs lost here in the United States and also around the world. Canada's numbers came out for March and they were also pretty brutal. We're seeing the economic impact of COVID-19 and uh, the economic disruptions it's bringing show up, not just in these numbers, but also niched down into the startup world. Toast that uh, Tosh mentioned, EasyCater, also in Boston, a host of smaller companies. Firms that aren't doing layoffs or furloughs are doing hiring freezes. It's gone from hot to cold very, very quickly, honestly, faster than I thought it was possible. I, I'm almost surprised at how quickly the sentiment changed and uh, people's approaches changed. And with the layoffs, the thing that's kind of getting to me and is making it hit harder is that it's not just hospitality and restaurant tech businesses that are struggling from layoffs right now in the tech world. I wrote about AngelList this week, also going through a number of cuts and cutting executive salaries. It's trickling down to other industries. And while AngelList, I believe it impacted only their recruiting team. There is some good news out there, though. Uh, LinkedIn said they have no plans to do layoffs through the end of their fiscal year, which I think is June. So some companies are now saying preemptively, we're not going to make cuts. But, you know, in a world where Airbnb was supposed to go public this year and is now saying that layoffs are on the table, things have changed shockingly quickly. To to show my cards a little bit, because this is a mistake I made, but it also, I think, is telling, so I will admit the mistake. (laughs) LinkedIn, I had written, pledged to not make any layoffs, and then LinkedIn commented saying, they did not pledge, nor did they promise, they have no plans. And I think that that says something (laughs) as well, is like how careful companies are being. Um, Obviously, great news for LinkedIn employees right now, that it's no related layoffs from now, at least until the end of the fiscal year, but... They weren't willing to like put their stamp of approval on it. So that also says something, right? I, I appreciate any executive who's willing to just say, I don't have any plans. <laughs> I feel inspired. You know, it's it's like you go into the all hands meeting and it's like, here's our plan. No plan. But I would actually imagine that LinkedIn, given the, the job environment with, you know, now millions and millions, unfortunately, unemployed, I would imagine that, you know, the recruiting tools, the hiring functions there, the fact that people are going to update their LinkedIn's to make sure they're fully fresh for those who do so. I actually imagine that their business would be fairly reliable in, in this context. Maybe not their display business. They actually have a nice ad business. They do. But they also have LinkedIn Learning, which, you know, given that everyone's now remote and maybe learning at home, that could be doing well, too. So it's not just a single part business. The end of the fiscal year is only a couple months away. So this is not the biggest respite. It is a short term, <laughs> no plan to do layoffs, which could change. So it's good news, not amazing news. If you have more good news, though, we do have an email address. We are equitypod at techcrunch.com. So feel free to drop us a line. We would love to hear... Um, I don't know, some smiles would be nice. You know, if you're if you're doing something cool, hiring, doing something fast, let us know. If it's really cool, we'll bring it up on the show. No promises, though, naturally. And we're going to end with two kind of uplifting stories to leave on a positive note. We're going to talk about Thrive and uh, loans they're doing uh, to students based on their summer internships. This was an interesting way to approach money, Tosh. And I was curious why you picked it and then uh, why it's cool. Yeah. So Thrive is actually, I hinted at them earlier, they're the second startup we're talking about this episode that has a Twitter co-founder, Twitter founders. So they are these two guys that met an undergrad, became co-workers at Twitter, then joined to start a start Thrive, which is a financing company that basically, instead of betting on students based on their credit scores, which 
any student does, might is probably does not have a great credit score. They give it based on their summer internship or any internship job offer and give you a loan of sorts as a result. I think it helps international students. It helps first generation students. It helps students from low income backgrounds that don't have that money in their in the background to prove that they can that they can pay it back. But it, it rewards like hardworking students that scored that really awesome job or postgrad internship. It's, it's interesting that we're talking about this now because I think like a week or two ago, you had written about how a lot of internships in tech were being rescinded. I'm, I'm going to be curious to watch how Thrive handles an environment in which internships are going away, given that they're working on trying to help those people. I wonder if they can do more yeah. work because, you know, these people are probably roughly as credit worthy as they were before. There's not going to be a Google this summer or whatever it was. I completely agree. And I guess the reason that, that they are in the news right now is that they just landed a $200 million credit line from Credit Suisse. So that sets them up to be able to give money out. So I'm happy for them. But yeah, I agree, Alex. It, it is an interesting time to be betting on internships. Yeah, the world has changed. Now, Danny, uh, one more good bit of news, if you will. Index, uh, a firm that we all know in the VC space, um, put together $2 billion in two funds. Can you give us the thumbnail on, uh, on what happened there? So Index, a longtime venture firm based in San Francisco and in Europe, raised a $800 million emerging startups fund and a $1.2 billion growth fund. So obviously have been fundraising probably for a while. It's great to actually see them be able to close given the macro environment. I was talking to a relatively well-known LP yesterday. And, um, you know, this is not that common anymore. You know, uh, LPs have definitely cut back quite a bit on kind of the coverage they're able to do. And so to see them kind of fundraise and not just fundraise, but fundraise $2 billion in this environment is actually a, a real accomplishment for them. It's a bit of a flex, I feel, to announce $2 billion after the world's economy has fallen apart because they now have capital for years and years and years and years. So That's right. Oh, actually, I have a question before we go. Um, remember when we were talking about Kleiner raising a new round a couple of weeks back, maybe mm-hmm. a month or two ago? Do, have we heard anything about that that fund? I've heard nothing. I have gotten some press releases of what's the latest on that investments but they are kind of out of my comfort zone i think they're blockchain related so i haven't been super interested which is a perfect full circle for us today See, all my blockchain related emails <laughs> just go straight to a junk mail folder they, it is active they're doing things that's all i can share though <laughs> I, I know they're active but I'm, I'm gonna be curious to see if they raise the fund they wanted to at the size they wanted and if they mm. raise it as quickly as they expected to because we said you know danny said that you know they spent the money quickly but they probably put it into good deals they were excited about. So it's not really good or bad that they had put the money to work quickly. But fundraising now probably isn't the best uh, as index. Uh, probably beat that by a smidge. Anyways, guys, um, that is all we have for you this week. We're going to do a round robin of Twitter handles, though. And we're going to start with Danny. I'm at Danny Crichton. And how do you spell your last name, Danny? Uh, C-R-I-C-H-T-O-N. Excellent. And Tosh, where do we find you on Twitter? I'm at N-M-A-S-C underscore. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And I am uh, at Alex and we are always around on Twitter. Yeah, this so is say- really just Alex's way of being obnoxious and being like, I have a first name <laughs> Twitter handle. And I'm at Alex. <laughs> at Twitter. And I, I have the easiest name in the fucking world to, to, oh, I swore on this show. God damn it. I do that all the time. We love you. <laughs> our producer specifically asked me and put into the notes doc that I talk about our Twitter handles, Danny. So you may beep my beep. Anyways, that is equity for this week. We love you all except for Mr. Crichton. In the meantime, we'll be back Monday morning. Stay safe and get out of the rain. Is it hailing here? Ah! (laughs) 
So if I float away in the middle of the recording, uh, <laughs> Providence is flooded and I've left. Yeah, I'm under attack. So this is essentially the blitz of Providence via the hailstorm. So um, if my audio is a little funky, that's why. All right. Uh, oh, we're gonna... I hear it now. Yeah, you hear that? It's yeah. really coming down. Like, it's like I wish you guys could see this. Uh, cut this if you have to, Chris. But like between my house and my office, which is my backyard, it's not very big. It's like Mother this amazing... Nature. Mother Nature is laying her seeds of hail <laughs> Sideways on an egg. to grow <laughs> no. the water supply to create equity. 